Where do I start? How do I train recall? How long should we work on healing before moving on? Is crate training really that important? We hear these questions all the time and there's one answer that will help with all of them. The complete step-by-step dog training course found at Standing Stone Supply. They break down the what, when, where, and how to train your own dog from eight weeks to one year old. They've got it all laid out for you down to even the daily activity checklist to keep you and your puppy on track. Check out standingstonesupply.com and remember to use code GDIY to save 10%. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. lot of people don't realize is that chase is as if not more rewarding than getting that bird in their mouth hey everyone this is joe wanted to drop in and give a quick note about the episode the intro was done in the car on the way to minnesota so there's a little bit of road noise and the audio quality is not that great but the rest of the episode with Scott was done down at Nick's farm, and the quality of the sound is much better. There's always something to debate or argue in the dog world, but there's this one thing that's not up for debate. All hunters and dog hunters know you need the right gear, not just for yourself, but for your dogs as well. Conkey's Outdoors Hound and Hunting Supply is your number one source for all things hound-related. Conkey's is owned and operated by true houndsmen themselves. They've got you covered no matter the game you're chasing, from hog hunting, bear hunting, and even gator hunting. Bird dog guys don't feel left out either. They have whatever you need, whether it's training collars, tracking collars, boots, chaps, vests, coats, and more. No matter what you and your dog needs to have a successful hunt, check out conkeysoutdoors.com and they'll get you on the right track. Purchases over $100 gets you free shipping and enter GDIY5 to save 5%. And if you're a Patreon patron, you get to save even more money. So be sure to check out Conkey's Outdoors. Welcome back to another week of GDIY, everybody. Me and Adam are on the road on the uh, 2020 Adam and Mitch Victory Lap Grouse Tour. Adam, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> Feeling good, man. Uh, it's definitely not a victory lap. Uh, I'm just ready to get up to Minnesota and hunt, man. <laughs> well, don't don't skip over it. Tell everybody how yesterday went, the test. We, we've had a big weekend so far, and hopefully... Uh, continue the the good reason to celebrate throughout the week yeah it it went really well yesterday uh we ended up getting a maximum score in the utility test uh going into it i think everyone knows i was nervous and nervous is healthy Uh, and i went in thinking man i could get a no pass or i could get a max score or anywhere in between um not that i didn't have confidence in my dog I knew he was prepared for it, but 
just anything can go wrong on test day. And, uh, you know, I had, I had a couple things go right yesterday that, uh, if the wind shifted another way, things could have been a lot different. So there's a little bit of luck involved, but we ended up with a max score and I'm obviously happy about it. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I, I got to see a good bit of it and he, he just made it look easy. You lucked out on some weather. I've never seen uh, weather like that in early October <laughs> down here in Tennessee. But, hey, man, that's what it's all about. And you and Norm made it happen, man. Norm got that prize one as well. So uh, we got a couple uh, invitational dogs to train throughout the next season. Yeah, I was feeling really – I mean, I'm still excited, but I was feeling really excited last night once they read the scores. And then I was exhausted. I finally laid down. And I, I couldn't get to sleep because I'm already thinking about training for the invitational. So, <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to start knocking out some more invitational uh, topics, get some uh, honoring work and blind retreats and stuff like that. But, but yeah, like you were saying earlier, man, it's hunting time. We're headed up to Minnesota and uh, going into it. Now that we actually have a prize one utility dog in the group, maybe we can actually kill some birds this week. <laughs> well, Nick, I mean, uh, I get what you're saying, buddy, but that's not how it works. You know that that you've got a dog or maybe two dogs in your truck that have a better nose than Mitch. So, yeah, uh, but the, but the grouse make they hold better for prize one dogs. Yeah, everybody knows that. Yeah, when a dog goes on point, they're like, "Hold up, are you a prize one or two? When they say, "You know, I'm a prize two, they just say, "I'm out." <laughs> See you. Like, I can tell you this: no one is going to pick out uh, based on performance in Minnesota. No one's going to say, oh, that must be the prize one dog. Uh, <laughs> I know that that really, I'm not going to say it has nothing to do with it, but, but yeah, you know, we've got, we're going up here with some good dogs. That's a fact. Yeah. Well, since you had the, uh, had all the fun yesterday, go ahead and tell everybody what this week is about and the episode and uh, go ahead and do the typical uh, building up of the podcast and social media and close it out, buddy. <laughs> All right, so this week we got Scott Caldwell. Uh, we had some listeners send in some questions for Scott, and uh, we had a good time answering those questions. Um, this episode probably went a little bit long, but I think everyone's really going to enjoy it. I always enjoy sitting down and talking to Scott. Um, so, yeah, time. And uh, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, of course, the Patreon thing helps out, you know, if you guys can give us a little bit, a little bit of a donation, a dollar, five, whatever you're comfortable with. It definitely helps. Uh, it, it costs money to do a podcast. So every little bit helps from you guys go to patreon.com, search for gundog yourself. You guys have any questions for us, send us an email at gundog yourself at gmail.com. There you go, man. You get a prize one and closing out the intro for this week. thanks buddy all right y'all enjoy picture this you just finished a long day's hunt or a long day in the training field grooming your next champion you've run through your entire string of dogs in anticipation for the next fall you think the day's over it's not though your day's not over until you let that ugly dog hunt no hunting or training session is complete without capping it off with one of the spirits from Ugly Dog Distillery. They're Michigan-raised and purebred handcrafted spirits. They have everything you need from vodka and gin to your more traditional after-hunt choice Kentucky bourbon. 
head on over to uglydogdistillery.com to check availability within your state. And if you have an upcoming event that's alcohol friendly, then be sure to reach out to us and see if we can add another ugly dog to the lineup. We'll tell you right now, we aren't much on flavored whiskeys, but you have to try their peanut butter whiskey. Unlike other peanut butter whiskeys out there, Ugly Dogs is made with real Kentucky bourbon and not just grain alcohol with syrup. So after your next hunt or a long day of testing and you're trying to decide what to drink, reach for the bottle with Ruger, the German wire hair pointer on it. It was handcrafted by people just like us, dog people. Every adventure starts somewhere. Make sure yours includes an Ugly Dog at your side. Explore responsibly. If you're currently in the market for a kennel, then be sure to check out Gunner Kennels. Gunner Kennels is the only kennel that's five-star crash rated from the Center for Pet Safety. The double-wall rotomodal construction ensures it holds up in all types of weather and conditions. Also, Gunner Kennels has a lifetime warranty. These kennels are built to last a lifetime, and Gunner stands behind that. Gunner also has all the accessories you can need from fan kits to help keep them cool, performance and orthopedic pads to help keep them comfortable and ready to go after long travels, and even tie-down straps to help ensure there's no worries for the kennel moving or sliding around in your truck. So if you need man's best kennel for man's best friend, head on over to gundogityourself.com and click on the Gunner link. Be sure to purchase your kennel, accessories, and even gift cards for holidays and birthdays through our link and it will go a long way in helping out the podcast. All right, everybody, we're sitting out here on the patio drinking a few drinks. Scott Caldwell joined us, and uh, he's going to enlighten everybody on how we uh, all should train bird dogs, right? Oh, Jiminy Christmas. Don't put me on the spot like that now. <laughs> what did you no. think we were having you down here for? Jeez. <laughs> for your company? Yeah, no. Cut. <laughs> no, I, I'll be honest with you guys. I, I always appreciate the time and the effort uh, you guys put into this, and you know, I appreciate spending some time with you guys when I come out here and travel and stuff. And, um, Nick, I got to say your new place, dude, this is the heat, but I will tell you, like I said on the phone, it, it's a gateway drug. <laughs> Bottomless pit. It's a gateway drug. Yeah. yeah. I think once I get, get it settled up the way I want to, it's going to be a great place to train dogs and, and obviously, you know, just life in general, just, live a little bit more simple life a little quieter and uh a little bit further away from some people it's absolutely funny uh we talked about it you know the whole disclaimer about you people you just see people they get into these dogs and then you know they go from a town home in the middle of some semi-suburban area to you know the proverbial 10 acres in a mule you know <laughs> uh, 10 acres and a bird dog oh Yep. Someone saw my truck yesterday and was like, man, this, the whole back of this truck is dedicated to your dog. I'm like, yeah, man, sure is. You should (laughs) see Nick's house. Yeah. The Navda rig. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, The standard Navda rig. The first time I met Nick out at the trial grounds, you know, I moved here, got in touch with the Navda chapter. I met this guy named Nick and he's like, yeah, meet me out at the trial grounds. I'm driving an F-150 with a camper shell and a kennel in the back. He pulls, well, actually he was there first. I'm like, well, that must be him. It's an F-150 with a camper shell. <laughs> and then the third guy that joined us, an F-150. And did he have a camper shell at the time? He does now. <laughs> I don't uh, know if I he did. It, I think it was Joe that actually came out there. No camper shell, but oh, yeah. kennel in the back. And you actually said, we got to work on Joe's uh, truck a little bit, okay. work on his Navda rig. But. <laughs> yeah. uh, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, we uh, 
you said that you're coming down and we figured it might be fun to field a few questions from some of the listeners. Yeah. You know, we get asked all the time, when are we doing a, a, a Q&A, Q&A, Q&A? And I said pretty much when uh, me and Adam figure out what the heck we're talking about, that's when we're going to do a Q&A. But yeah. uh, with you coming down, we're like, eh, you know, we'll, we'll learn from Scott tonight real quick well, i'll do my best that's all i can promise <laughs> all right so nick's got a list of questions thanks everyone for sending these questions in yep. for scott we put a little post up on social media so you guys could send the questions and nick's got a page of them and just yep. as a disclaimer i have not seen these questions yet so <laughs> if this yeah, turns that's into how a, i if feel this, every week <laughs> with life advice with that like i said if this turns into a life advice from scott now for because of this don't blame me. Hopefully well, they're to, dog related. To kind of ease you in, we're going to start off with a question that you, you from a guy that you kind of know here recently, he reached out to you and he's getting one of your pups next spring, uh, old Jacob from Alabama. Yep. Yep. He, uh, he said, obviously he's a first time dog owner. What would you say is the most important things to get ready or prepared before even getting the dog home? Is there anything particular he should focus on learning beforehand? I would say for most people, uh, probably not Jacob, because I know through my discussion with him is he's not married, doesn't have any kids and stuff, is to kind of prep your family a little bit. You know, we, we talk about consistency of commands, consistency of the dog's life in general, and, you know, having that across your family and what you're doing with a, with a like mindset of what this dog's purpose in your family is and you know, training aspects and stuff like that, pretty crucial, you know, to have a dog, you know, learn a task as hard enough as it is with some dogs, but then to have you saying here, your wife saying, come, your kids going, let's go fluffy, let's go. You know, it, you're teaching the dog three different commands for the same task that you're wanting to do. So in Jacob's very specific circumstance i would say the some of the things um he could probably prep and get ready prior to is you know read up on all the literature that's out there for um him specifically jghv and the dkgna guys because he is purchasing a a german dog um get involved in your local navda chapter we have multiple individuals that show up at a navda chapter months if not years before their first versatile dog yep you know and, and just understanding what it takes to get that dog to where your expectations are um and that way you know you're going to be light years ahead of uh joe schmo or mary smith that just bought a dog off of craigslist and wants to take it out to their local public game lands and try and find a bird so when when you talk about literature i know you just said some of the the german literature and everything what about like training resources? Cause we get asked that all the time. And my response is really like, I can't tell people one specific book or source that covers everything that the way that I personally feel it should cover, but kind of read everything that you can put your hands on and pick and choose because yep. it's like everything has something valuable to offer, yep. even though if it's not on everything, but is there a, a, a good source that you would say the majority of it is, uh, you know, for, good advice. for a new dog owner in general, especially if this is your first gun dog, um, and I have it, I have multiple copies of it, and I hand it out to individuals when they come get a dog. Um, a go-to book 
for me would be Mike Stewart's book, um, Training a Gentleman's Gun Dog. I think like the hundred, the first hundred fifty pages alone are literally about a puppy foundation, how to start, what to do, what not to do, as well as like training theory to talk about everything from uh, the three T's of giving a command, so tone, tempo, and timing. Uh, it gives a basic dictionary of you know general gun dog commands and stuff like that. Um, it's just a good resource to kind of get going you know, in understanding. Well, it's definitely on my list of books to get now. I've never read that one, uh, but I'll be picking it up. Um, Scott, how many calls do you get every week about people getting wanting to get a dog or wanting to send their dog to you for training? And I'm going somewhere with this. I, I know you are. We had a little discussion <laughs> about this. I probably field between me and Kylie, and I got to be honest, Kylie is our main point of contact for that stuff. <laughs> I mean, she, she's on it a lot more than I am between social media, the phone calls, and uh, the emails. But we probably get 20 to 30 a week at least. So I just want to give you props. And I kind of knew 20 to 30. You, you mentioned that earlier as we were running the dogs. Um, but I got to give you props, man, as a, as a trainer and breeder. When Nick mentioned Jacob, you don't know any of these questions, and you're immediately like, yep. I know his family situation. I remember talking to him. Yep. So to pluck that out of 30 other conversations you had probably a month ago, yep. that's, that says something about, you know, you as a breeder. Um, well, and that's, that's a part of it. So the question didn't directly go to that, but I think one of the most important things when you're starting and you're getting a dog and stuff like that is to making sure that you're paired with your breeder and or if your breeder's not necessarily a trainer, um, I have a, as you both know, I kind of have a, a lead anchor that hangs around my weight and, the, and my neck and the fact that I've got an amazing breeder for Griffons, but she's not a trainer. So yeah. what, what that means is every dog that she breeds or knows or hands, then she recommends us as a trainer. But those people are pretty confident in the fact that, okay, they're talking to a breeder. The breeder has a qualified and, and quality trainer involved, but that breeder is actually showing enough uh, care and foresight to say, okay, here, I'm giving you my dog, basically, my dog. I'm giving it to you. I'm selling it to you. Here's the resources that you can use to get that dog where you're wanting to get. Whether yeah. that's through me, whether that's through uh, this other person that we recommend, something along those lines. Um, you know. I got to tell you that when I was shopping for the dog that I have now, I talked to a bunch of breeders and I would have 30 minute conversations with some of them and then have a follow up conversation two weeks later. And it was very evident that they did not remember the conversation we had two weeks ago, yeah. did not yeah. remember me. And on one hand, I get it. You're getting a lot of phone calls, but on the other hand, I'm going, dude, that was significant for me, yep. but you don't remember, you know, I'm, I'm obviously like invested in this and I'm, you know, financially, like emotionally, I'm committed to this dog. That's not even there yet. And you don't remember me. It's like, it's an indicator to me. Yeah. Not, not the right breeder potentially. Um, and that's not the only thing you want to look for. I know I'm getting kind of off on a rabbit hole, but, um, <laughs> no, but I, I that's mean, not the only thing you want to look for, 
But it's and it's not a definitive sign of yes or no. But it's just a big compliment. It's a fact to you. Yeah, it's and it's oh, a factor yeah. exactly. I mean, as you guys know, we got a vested interest in every dog that comes to our kennel and or leaves our kennel. You know? Yeah. So a bred dog sure. or a trained dog, we have a vested interest in every. So I mean, um, I think there's there is a lot of breeders out there that have that. I, I mean, I can't think of many breeders, high level breeders within NABDA that don't have that mentality when it comes to i want to make sure i'm placing my dog in the right place with the right person for the right situation yeah you know and so on and so forth and because of that i think it breeds a little bit of that you know hey i want to know more about you yeah you know and and i see more often than not and probably you guys too is people that we deal with either as a training dog or as a potential puppy owner that's almost like a lifelong commitment to us as yep. well. Yep. You know, we end up friending these people. We end up, you know, going yeah. hunting with these people. We end up testing with these people, training with these people, you know, the whole gamut. And Dude, the value in being able to call your breeder and say, this is what's going on with the dog. And they go, oh, yeah, you know, that I dealt with that with the mom or the dad or whatever. Try this. I mean, it's invaluable. So if you yeah. don't get along with that breeder, then that's automatically one thing that you don't have. So, yeah. but one good thing about this is Jacob does get along well with you. Yep. Yep. And back to his question to really sum it up, like you said, is really establish a, a good home routine yep. with your family, whoever you're living with. Establish that routine while gaining the knowledge by any resources, books, anything. Pit, you know pick out the golden nuggets out of every resource that you can and learn the values and, and really just establish a good home routine is really, yeah. And ask ask questions, questions. everybody ask all questions. And you hinted towards it, Scott, but like put a list on the fridge of, you know, talk through command selection. That's something Nick and I have talked a lot about. Put a list on the fridge of what the commands are going to be so that everyone in the family knows what they're going to be. Yeah, you know, here means come to me, or maybe you're going to use come means come to me, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but make those things very explicit so that so that there's no question yeah. about it. Consistency yeah. is key. And uh, anything else to add on that one? No, I'm looking forward to meeting Jacob and having him come up here and take a look at Sonia and stuff. And I'm yeah. looking forward to see what he's going to do with his dog. I know yeah. he's really big into the tracking and the deer hunting and stuff, so I'm kind of excited about it. Yeah. One, one thing about Jacob, I've known him for a few years, is he gets hooked on on absolutely anything and so the first time that dog goes on point on a bird he might forget <laughs> deer, deer tracking he'll be selling his bow and buying a garmin alpha i'm still waiting this might be a this might be a little call out but i'm still waiting for him to call me and be like hey man i'm getting this puppy from you how about we do a podcast down here you know, so <laughs> i'm sure it'll happen yep uh so moving on to the next one we have destiny from canada oh international yeah yep so uh i like this one it's a little it's a little mix up literally she has a a mixed dog here i adopted a lab gsp mix about a year ago so she's almost two and a half years old now she's just now getting into hunting and starting force fetch this week her the dog's obedience has come along nice nicely but what other training should i be focused on after force fetch the end goal is both upland and waterfowl, and she does show a lot of pointing, but just not as intense as the other dogs, which makes sense with maybe makes sense the with mixed the lab breed. mix. Yep. And, and honestly, I'm I'm surprised. Well, I'm not surprised. I mean, um, at the end of the day, 
I know they're selling those exact dogs out west as designer dogs, almost like a poodle pointer. <laughs> yeah, they're intentionally they're breeding. I take, I take that back as a labradoodle. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, they're they're intentionally breeding GSP lab yeah. mixes. Um, I think west. they're called pointing labs. <laughs> oh, is that, oh. no! Is that and then GDIY that? lost half his car. Oh <laughs> man, Nick, Nick, you're not allowed to drink any more ugly dog. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, they're they are intentionally breeding for the you know the, re- the retrieving aspect of the lab, the heavier coat, but still getting the pointing instinct yeah. from the short hair. So I think that the biggest thing there is labs traditionally, um, and we're bred initially as flushing dogs yeah yep and the what they have done is the the labs that showed a little bit more propensity to pause before the pounce um they kind of through training and through some selective breeding tried to you know bring that more of what they call a point if you will out of it and then out west they've kind of put the two of them together and come up with you know pointing lab yeah. not the pointing lab but the gsp, <laughs> GSP lab. i was <laughs> just joking on that guys yeah. uh, just to kind of bring maybe extend that steadiness and that point yeah just a little bit further. that is a great question so, though you know we're after force fetch with this dog what's what's can, I, can I take a stab at that yeah. and you tell me if i'm i'm kind of right on that with with especially what you ju- you guys were just talking about with the difference between breeds labs GSPs, you obviously have a, a little bit of a confliction there with flushing and upland and the pointing. So you have one side of it that it's bred and genetically designed to venture out and go find game. And then you have the other side of it that's genetically bred to stay close within gun range. So obviously after force fetch, I would say probably the most important thing for her to focus on is maybe the field search. No, I'd go right into steadiness. Okay. Yep. So, um, following, you know, depend, let me take that back. Depending on the dog search already. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if, if, if the dog is already searching at a reasonable range for whatever that hunter's game of choice or preferences yeah. and stuff like that, as long as it's not like, you know, 20 yards, even flushing dogs, they want to see them more than 20 yards away. You got to cover ground. You have to search area to find game. And a dog that's underneath your heels is not going to do that. Um, but I, for me personally, if the dog is ranging well already and the dog, even after force fetch on your structured walks, is still ranging well, then I would move right into steadiness because okay. the dog's going to have a pretty decent understanding of how to turn pressure or pressure on pressure off getting a reaction from the dog to do a task working from the place board and working initially stay to flush stay to distraction meaning gunshots throwing bumpers so on and so forth then into maybe a possibly extended point once they kind of smell game i think that would be a little more important than the search However, to caveat, if that dog through the force fetch process because of the pressure put on the dog is actually really closed in, is not really responding well, is kind of like really unsure of itself, not going to go out and do the search, then absolutely get the dog back out in the field for a couple of months, get it in the presence of game, 
get the dogs, you know, tempo back up and where it needs to be, then go back and start addressing the steadiness piece. All right. Makes that sense makes a lot of sense. And I, I like where you're going with that, Nick, is, you know, I'd work on the search and the, <clears throat> the NAVDA training theory that we've developed, I think influences that, you know, you and I have adopted the, once you finish force fetch, you, uh, you extend that into a duck search then you work on steadiness and the same theory can be applied here what you're talking about and it really boils down to summarize it boils down to what's the dog doing because you provided yep. some warning there if the dog search is not good i'd work on search if the dog yep. search is good i'd work on steadiness so right. so that's what we need to i know we're kind of all over the place maybe destiny but uh you know what's your dog doing if the search is good then work on some steadiness if that's what you want to do. If it, if your dog's not searching to your desire, then work on the search. Yeah. But I would also, so I believe in that comment or that question, she has said that she just recently started force fetch. That she's starting this week. And starting, so, starting this week. Man, so. and I like that because I was, I'm, I'm glad you caught that because I was thinking if the search is not good, I would work on the search first. Yeah, work on the search first. Then do steadiness. Or, uh, sorry, then do force fetch. Then work steadiness. And and the big thing in there is to kind of monitor that dog's behavior and demeanor coming through force fetch. And depending on what method she's deciding to use and how that dog responds to that method and stuff like that, um, that could really dictate where her next step would be. So if the dog kind of flies through force fetch, grasps pressure and, and understands it and it's no big deal to the dog, then by absolutely go right into the steadiness piece. But if that dog takes that pressure as a personal, you know, a personal issue, like, okay, I really don't like this, or it takes a little bit longer in the force fetch process because the dog's not correlating the pressure with what they're asked, being asked to do, the task, then by all means, solidify your force fetch. Don't stop force fetch to go work another task. Yep. You know, finish force fetch, whatever that means to her. One so, thing at a time for sure. Yeah, and and exactly. to clarify, we're we're talking about field search. You know, right. again, like for the NAVDA people, we are big advocates. Scott, I know you are too, of do force fetch, then work on the duck search, then work on steadiness. Because right. if you haven't done force fetch but you're working on duck search, what do you do when your dog finds a duck? It, you know, maybe it'll bring it back, maybe not. So, in this case, we're talking get the field search going good, then do your force fetch, and then you can work well, that, on steadiness or whatever. Kind of what what you were alluding to earlier, is, and what Scott was just saying is how your dog responds to force fetch. We've seen a yep. lot of dogs during force fetch that come out the other end, yeah, to where they kind of stick a little closer to you, and so duck search yep. is just a natural way of extending them back out building yep. that confidence and that range back out yep. there and that's why i was another reason why i was kind of thinking range but what you said it makes sense so but you know steadiness uh yeah just be sure you're doing it in, in the correct way and read your dog yep and and that's really yep. it and so great question yeah uh so we're gonna stay in canada for the next one with uh wow. mike out of alberta i have a one and a half year old small munstie in her second hunting season you want to take a wild stab at what the question may pertain to? Steadiness. No. <laughs> 
I have a small Muncie, and I can say that. So, <laughs> uh, and I haven't seen the question. I just <laughs> he said they did the NA test, but needed more bird exposure to work on pointing. So far this season, season she's still mostly flushing birds. She goes on point for a second, but flushes and then chases. Should I continue to allow her to chase? This has been hunt on hunting pheasant, but I've all, I've read that they will eventually figure out flushing slash chasing is not the way to get the bird. <sighs> All right, I'll, I'll take a deep breath on this. <laughs> so, Munsties inherently are kind of a little bit tougher to, to get into a staunch, very, like you would say, a textbook type point, if you will, to begin mm-hmm. with. They're, they're Again, generality, people. Generality. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, the, the, the tail and the butt like to move, and they just, for some reason, in my experience, they want to see what they're smelling. Um, so what I would do is I talked about this, I think in one of our other podcasts or maybe me and Adam had this discussion at the boathouse. One of the biggest issues I see with a lot of natural ability individuals, and it generally is a few breeds that I see this in where there's very little or no point to be called a flashpoint mm-hmm. or anything else. Yep. And the unfortunate, I won't say the unfortunate thing. Um, the one portion of the natural ability test is, is that they most judges would like to see that dog's desire and will allow that dog to chase a bird. What a lot of people don't realize is that chase is as, if not more rewarding than getting that bird in their mouth. So the chase, that actual chase, like the, the lead up to the chase and that I smell that bird and, oh, there it is, and there it goes. Let me go get this. The fun is in the chase. Exactly. Yeah, once the dog has the bird in its mouth, it's, it's over. over. Yeah. yeah, it's done. It's over. So um, I would actually kind of take that chase away. So stopping that dog on the chase, having a solidified recall on the dog on the chase. Um, if you're talking about, and then from there, start working your steadiness with state of flush. Yeah. So and there's a, there's a few ways to stop that chase also, and we actually covered that last week with in Pete's episode. There there's a, a lot of different we cover a lot of different ways people do that and and start bringing that dog steady to flush. So be sure to go check out that episode. But what is what is your preferred way or typical way? I know it's dependent on each dog, but what what is your preferred way if it fits the dog's mentality to start to t- yeah, start taking the chase out and extending that point so that you can flush it. So without removing intensity, if I can add that on the end, right. <laughs> important. And, right and which which you can run into this. Thankfully, with most small munsies, you, you can. Uh, it's hard to take that intensity out. So what we do, uh, what I do normally, um, if I've got a dog that's got a huge chase, uh, we will work um, initially from the place board. We will solidify all of our basic obedience, meaning that, you know, the whole adage, here means here. Okay. I'm not worried about woe at this point. Yelling a dog woe as a young dog and it's chasing a bird, you might as well be just saying boat or whatever. School bus, whatever. It doesn't matter. But but the whole. Please stop. You know, solidifying your correction. And then here or whatever your correction tone is, you know, no or hey or whatever it is, solidifying your correction on the chase. 
and then stopping that chase. I've done it with check cords. Um, I've done it with uh, the e-collar. Uh, but really, for a lot of the dogs, we go through the entire obedience program. We work a lot of place board work where the dog, you know, when we say place, we give them a, a spot. That's it. And if they come off that spot, they get a correction, uh, uh, and their feet get hot. That makes sense. Yep. They get back on that place board. So, and then correlating that slowly into what that dog's going to see in the field. So it's like you're on a place board, you solidify the obedience, you start overlaying that with some maybe pigeons flying around or birds yeah, flying around. Pigeons. Actually, then, I'll start with shots. I'll okay. start with blank shots. That before, makes sense. Before I put the birds in front of them and stuff like that. Because you'll see a lot of jaw, dogs jump and hop yeah. and go look. What'd you kill? What'd yep. you kill? Yep. So I, I like that because this is this is a big point that I try and tell everybody is it's like you're not just teaching place board, right? It's right. building up to something. You lay the first step, then move on to the second. So you teach place, you solidify place, add in a little distraction with some gunshot, then add in a bird, then maybe add in gunshot and a bird. And yep. then guess what? Then you just go to the field and you have the gunshot and the bird yeah. and you have that foundation to stop the dog. I like that because the dog associates that whoa stay place command whatever it associates it with the place board and not with the bird it's been right. through a bunch of scenarios already right. where if i step off of this I, my feet get hot right. right and now when i overlay the bird into that it's just another distraction right and it kind of mitigates the thing of of getting a dog to start to blink birds or start to be soft around birds now they associate it to the place board and not to the bird right and we'll we'll do we, we basically do two sessions. So we'll do we'll do a basic obedience place board piece where, you know, the dog gets rewarded for being on the place board and understanding that the place board is where they, you know, when given a command, that's their spot. And after force fetch, after duck search, then we do what we call the advanced place board work, which the advanced place board work is just a continuation of what they already know. So we, we'll get them started, walk them around in a heel, as they get close to the board, we'll tell them place. And as they're getting on that board, we'll tell them, whoa, nice and slow. Whoa. We're not yelling, whoa, stop, whoa. It's the tempo portion of right. what you mentioned earlier. Exactly. And that I mean, dog. tempo and tone, right? Yep. And that dog, if we've done the initial place board work right, meaning that when that dog came off the place board during the obedience, it got an ah, ah, and its feet got hot. Now all we're doing is just overlaying another audible command saying, whoa, and then that dog stops. We introduce some sort of distraction. And if that dog comes off that place board, all we do is just reiterate, whoa, and that dog will generally, because it's so close to the place board, automatically associate, oh, shoot, I'm supposed to be up on here. Okay, yep. got it. Don't yep. move. You know, and, and it, it is a little, I mean, it's a process just like force fetch. We sure. do step by step. You know, and we don't move to the next step unless we know the dog solidified the task and and the one we're working on. And really, to caveat off what you just said, all this training should be that way. Yep. It's not just force fetch. It's not just place nope. training. Everything should be step by step. Yep. You don't move on to the next one until you solidify the first one. Man, I could get on. I, <laughs> I know I'm good for going down a rabbit hole, but I could get off on a tangent right now about, you know, people get turned off about force fetch. 
It's really just a process, <laughs> right? It's it's how step you should be step. training your dog to yep. do everything else step oh, by step. step, by step. We don't we don't have time well, got, for your rabbit hole because well, we have to go back to Alabama. I man. got before we go to Alabama. <laughs> I, I think I, I want to address his question. The fact that I think part of this question was: Should I allow my dog to chase during this hunting season? Uh, right. Th- this has been on hunting pheasant, but I've read that. Yeah, I mean he he's hunting right now. And that's so what he's I, asking for right now. So, yeah. So, what I would say is, and his name's Mike. Yep. Okay. So, Mike, here's what I would tell you. Um, and I think I heard these guys talk about it a couple podcasts ago. Um, in the effort to get your dog where it needs to be, just be prepared and be sacrificed. Depending on what you're doing around your house as far as individual training and stuff like that, if you're taking your dog hunting and your dog goes out, if you just got to remember that the first, whatever, five bird contacts this dog has, you might as well leave your your gun on your shoulder and solidify that dog not chasing that bird. Even if it's a wild bird, everybody's, you're right. Everybody says, well, when, once they learn, they can't catch them. Well, you know what? If the chase <laughs> is just as fun to the dog as the catch. Sometimes yeah. the chase is a reward. Exactly. Yeah. So take that chase away, you know, and whatever your method is for doing that, that's not harmful for the dog and stuff like that. I'm not saying burn your dog up on the collar because it goes to take off after a pheasant. Just be prepared. If you're hunting your first five, six wild birds, Yep, you're yeah. not going to shoot. Sometimes you, know? you have to sacrifice a, a quote unquote hunt for, yep. for the betterment. I mean, think about it this way. You may sacrifice even one season of hunting to gain 10 good seasons of hunting i I mean do you want this to go just this season or i mean the dog's what two years old i'm guessing uh one and a half second hunt season yeah so i mean dog's almost two years old you solidify it this season you may never have to worry about it again or you spend the next nine years watching your dog fighting the same battle hope hope that you're go pheasant hunting and hope that your dog points a lot of hens initially and then exactly. this problem solves itself <laughs> um nick I, I know you're wanting to move on to the next thing but i got one thing for you man on on the topic of munsties and we're hitting around some pointing stuff mm-hmm. i think everyone can benefit from this uh and i'm going to put you on the spot a little bit but we're all going to benefit from it um if you could go back and to preface this like Lucy is a prize to the <laughs> highest prize to you can get pretty much. She's an awesome dog. I mean, every time I see her, I'm like, man, she's awesome. <laughs> if you could, what would you change? If you could go back and do th- some things different with Lucy, your small Munstie, yep. what would you do differently? Uh, well, I've talked about this before, but honestly, so she became kind of came out of the box she's a very cooperative dog as you, as you've seen she's yeah. very cooperative and yep. with that cooperation is kind of what we were talking about with pete last week it's kind of out of the box i had that cooperation out of the dog genetically that she she would go on point and allow me to flush but with that out of the box cooperation she was also steady through the shot and I was like, well, that's just one more step. I can go steady to release. Like, let's just do it. Just take she it, would break yeah. on the shot. And just because I could do it, she was too young. I shouldn't have done it. And right. just just by that little bit of pressure going that one step too fast, 
it, it took that intensity out of her point because she did not have that lackadaisical point when we first started, but because she was so young and it just, I'm like, I could do this. Didn't understand what she'd be corrected. Exactly. For. And so I took a very, a very good staunch point from her and out of cooperation. And I just tried to put on just a, a little bit more mustard on that hot dog than what I really should yep. have. And it resulted in this and I didn't know any better then. it's uh, now it's as, it's as clear as day that this was a mistake yeah. on my part and, and a handler and trainer induced error and it's going to make me better on future dogs. But yeah, it's, you know, that's another lesson with these young dogs, just because they show that they may be able to do it. Still take your time. You know, you don't have to do it just because you can. And, you know, because she was showing that at one year old doesn't mean that I, I, I didn't need a steady to release dog at one year old. But just because it was there, I went for it. And that's why I wanted to bring it up, man, because the feedback we get from people when we talk to them on the phone about this podcast is, you know, typically, man, you guys are straight up. You're not just telling us all the success. Right. You're telling us your failures. We love that about this podcast. And by giving you the opportunity to say, hey, here's what I did wrong. It's, you know, being goal oriented is great. Yeah. That's what makes a lot of people successful in other things in life. But in this case, you're like, well, she's already got this. This I'm goal oriented. Let's move to the next goal. Like In most things, it's like, awesome. You got one thing down. Let's tackle the next one. But in this case, the experience, you know, uh, the, she did. the lack of experience in that specific yeah. thing encouraged you to move on to the next. Right. So by she you did. sharing that, everyone else now gets yeah. the experience. We're, we're all guilty of that, though. Yes. Because oh, for like, sure. I've got uh, a dog in my kennel right now we own. I mean, you you met her, Calypso. We never force fetch that dog. We never put her through a formal force fetch process. And we're running in her in utility. And at the end of the day, we didn't force fetch her because literally from the first year of her life, she'd walk around and pick up everything, carry everything. If I pointed at something, I don't care what it was. If it was a lead anchor, she'd try to figure out how to pick it up. If I just looked at it and said, <laughs> And you're hey, like, that goal's knocked off. Yeah, I'm exactly. good. <laughs> and then all of a sudden we go to, you know, a deep water retrieve and the water's cold. And she looks uh, at me like, no, no, son. No, you don't no, have no, that tool not in today. Your box. Yep. And, then and you when, don't have anything for nothing. Yes, yep. you're going. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You have no recourse from that point because you haven't shown that dog what your expectations are when you say that word other than just in a fun situation. Like, yep. hey, pick that pick that beer can up. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, yep. yeah, no, we're I mean, all guilty of it. Well, I mean, it, it, absolutely. The picture there is in that specific example – you you missed out on a big opportunity to yep. get to know that dog specifically. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, I mean, ultimately that, and I mean, it's like Lucy didn't get a three in pointing on UT because she's a monster. She got a three in pointing it on UT because I messed up as a trainer and a, and a handler. So yeah. you know, if people could accept that and learn from their mistakes, because I guarantee you, I'm not going to make that mistake again. Or knock on wood, hopefully I don't. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, you just saved a, who knows how many people from making that mistake by having the humility to be like, I made this mistake, you know? <laughs> it so happens. Exactly. All right, so let's go to Alabama. Yeah, we're going back to Alabama. Andrew wants to know, 
Is there a difference in training new things to an older dog compared to a pup? For example, how do you go about teaching a maybe three to four year old dog obedience rather than a three or four month old pup? Nothing. Nothing. Um, every dog, um, every dog, regardless of age, you can train and utilize the same training methods. Caveat, the, the challenge that you're going to have individually is what gray area or what is that older dog's norm? What does there he understand? Yep. What does he understand is his day-to-day lifestyle process, whatever. Yep. And, and having to kind of overcome that, depending on what it is, to achieve your training goals versus a young dog or a puppy that has no real understanding of what the world is. What's my expectations? What's your expectations? You know, versus like you said, a three to four year old dog. Don't know the history. Don't know the background of this dog, but I mean, depending on what it's done. I mean, if you're talking about a house dog, couch dog, and now you're trying to take it out to the field and go hunt pheasants, yep. you know, What's yeah. that dog's norm? And Scott, I'm I'm looking for an opportunity to do, disagree with you as we record this, <laughs> just because it generates know, good conversation. <laughs> it does. It generates conversation. And just what I did to Nick a minute ago, you know, like let me put you on the spot for the sake of all of us learning. So I don't want to disagree just for the sake of I'm going to disagree. Advocate. Yeah, but I'm just wanting to play devil's advocate. And when you said your initial response was nothing, and I'm like, hmm. I want to disagree. I don't have as much experience as Scott, but I disagree with that. <laughs> um, but you covered it. Like there is a difference, you know, the puppy, it's like, it's innocent. It doesn't know the world yet. It's a blank so, slate. Yeah. So when you entice it to sit right with, right. with a piece of food, you hold the food above its head. <laughs> it looks up at the food. The more you move it back, it naturally just puts down on its butt and you're like, yep, that's what I wanted. Good dog. Well, you don't do that if it's a pointing dog, right, Adam? <laughs> Never. <laughs> 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 we could get into that, but, um, but you know, with the, with the three or four year old dog, when you're like, let me entice you, buddy. It's kind of like, Try something else, man. I know all your tricks. Yep. The, you know, the, so the way I explain it is, there the learning capability doesn't change just because the dog is right. three, four, or five years old. Yep. You're just battling three or four or five years of it, literally living a different routine and just the inconsistencies yep. of the trainer. And to what Scott exactly. said, you have no idea what the dog learned previous, yep. so you're battling. The, the history of the dog, yeah. but the dog is still fully capable of learning. It's just and a matter of... The actual training method doesn't change. And right. That's what I meant like that. You know, oh, no. The, yeah, the, you the covered four, it. Yeah, the four <laughs> quadrants, the four quadrants all still play in. And that's exactly right, you man. Know. Like, so what we're really... Nick mentioned a clean slate. What we're really talking about is classical conditioning. Yep. What has an eight-week-old puppy been classically conditioned to do? not as much as a three or four year old yep, dog. Exactly. So there's certain things you just have to be aware of that as yep. a trainer, that this dog has been conditioned for three or four years to do whatever, you know, every time I walk to the closet and it's evening time and the family's finished eating dinner, that means it's my turn to eat. And this guy's going to fill my bowl. <laughs> the puppy doesn't know that yet. It's, so it's like a, it's a difference between a, a 10 foot blackboard that you've got to erase and a, you know, 
four inch blackboard you got to erase. <laughs> yep, you yep, exactly. yep. You've got a four year old dog that's had a entire four years to build what its expectations and where it fits into life and society versus yeah. a 12 week old puppy that's trying to figure out where it fits into life and society. Yep. But the training method doesn't change. Yep. You know, the, the, the four quadrants, showing the dog what you're wanting it to do, the, the rewards and the corrections and the positive reinforcements and the negative punishments all still play in. Yep. It's just how you utilize them through the period and get the best response out of the dog. Absolutely. Makes sense. All right. So we're headed to the Sooner State. You know oh. what state that is? <laughs> Dude, I don't watch sports. Indiana? <laughs> <laughs> Oklahoma. Are we Oklahoma. still in Alabama? Oh, I thought that Oklahoma. was the Okie State. <laughs> ah, Boomer Sooner. Maybe. Yeah, I Boomer Sooner. Known that. All right. Yeah. All right. Uh, Hunter would like to know, I have a two-year-old German Wirehair Pointer and a new 13-week-old Drop Pup. How do I get them to follow commands on their own? If I tell one to recall, how can I make them understand I'm only asking for just one besides saying their specific name? Okay, so he's got a 13-week-old pup? 13-week-old pup and a two-year-old wire hair. That's easy. The two-year-old wire hair should already kind of know at that basic obedience. If he's done his due diligence, the, the wire hair should already know its understanding and basic obedience. Train them separate. Train them separate. You're, you're not going to get the focus out of a 13-week-old puppy when there's a new or his house buddy or his you know kennel buddy is right there right next to him, yeah. it, it's the same reason why I'm really not an advocate of somebody saying, you know, I want to buy a male and a female from your same litter. Yeah, no, no way, no way. So or even two puppies out of the same litter, like yeah, that's crazy. I mean, yeah, regardless, male, female, whatever, just siblings, yeah. mates, you know. Yeah. Or somebody that, you know, I'm buying a puppy from you and in 12 weeks I'm buying a puppy from another person. You can do that. You you can, but you have to train them absolutely separately. Yep. They have their own individual tasks. They have their own individual training time. And then at one point when you feel like they have solidified that task, regardless then you start instituting the distraction. And that's really what it is. It's a distraction of having the other dog there yeah, and the other dog participating in what's going on. Yeah, so I'm thinking of a way that I could train, you know, dog number one, it has its separate training time, and then I would want to test it with dog number two not even there and say, right. dog number two here. And then as soon as it breaks, I'm like, nope, I wasn't calling you. Your dog but, number one, but he did say but he did say, he without, did say using without using their the name, and, and so, so with that, I I would say, well, if your commands are all without the same, using, without, without using, using their, their names, names, then you'd yeah. have to, then you'd have to you have, have separate to have some commands. kind of precursor, or that's what I was going to say, or do use separate commands because I yeah. do, I can't see a, a scenario when you have two quote unquote finished dogs, four or five years old. I don't see how you can have the same command system and expect different results. The dogs can't read your mind. Well, They're not going to know he's talking to me. So even if you don't use the dog's name, but you use the same commands, you have to have there a different has precursor. to be something I'm gonna, that separates it. I'm going to reach it, into Adam's military background. <laughs> so it could be the uh, something you 
some sort of body language, a hand signal, something a precursor you do. Of but some if sort. everything's yeah. exactly the same, what we call a preparatory command yes. and a command of execution, command of execution. <laughs> That's where I yep. was headed to. Yeah. Yep. yep. So it, exactly that, and I talk about this all the time. Is you know, there's nothing wrong. I mean, I'm a big proponent of saying that dog's name as a preparatory command, so you have that dog's specific attention. Yep. He and knows that you're talking to him or her. I can, mm-hmm. I can, and then you give them the command of what you want yes, them to do. Because I can personally relate to this with my two dogs. Is I had Rachel ne- never even crossed my mind to have a preparatory command, mm-hmm. and so I'm just training. Then I got Lucy, and I trained them separate. Still, never crossed my mind to separate it out until it got to the point to where I started putting them together. And then I ran into this to where you tell you just say fetch, and both of them are going after it or here. And so I've literally had to backtrack and start adding in Lucy, Rachel, and then giving the command. You'll change your command selection. This kind of ties back to the first question. If that family has a dog already in the house, and you haven't been, and you haven't prefaced the command with the dog's name, start doing that now before you get dog number two. Yep. And then back to the uh, Andrew's question with the older dog and younger dog is Lucy's caught on really well to me using the names first. Oh, yeah. Rachel has not. She she understands it, but man, I have to reinforce it with her. And Lucy is just kind of, I caught it at a young enough age right. to where Lucy, and it's, it's funny how all these questions kind of tie in together. Funny. Oh, yeah. I've <laughs> seen you look over at Rachel and go, Lucy, <laughs> like I'm not talking to you. <laughs> and then here's a command. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and honestly, this plays into uh, I've seen it. I've seen it happen. I've heard of it happening at the Invitational. I can't tell you how many dogs yep. got had issues in the field when I ran and when I've been involved in Invitational. Where oh, I'm glad you, get you a brought handle, that up. You get a handler. You got to run a brace. Both dogs go. <laughs> yep, you run a brace and you get a handler or a, a novice handler, and and their fetch command is loud and bold. You know, fetch. Yeah. And the dog that's backing is like, oh shit, I better go. Yep. yep. You know, if they haven't had that, you know, understanding of you I know, see. it's not go on fetch it's either a physical touch and fetch or mm-hmm. very Lucy very similar fetch. yep very similar last year i was helping gun for an akc uh hunt test and one dog was already qualified and this other dog this guy had been chasing this title for like a year and he's like i just need one more leg and it was on the last leg of the day, and the other dog he was running with was already DQ'd, but he had to get it back. That's the only thing that was missing. Yep. So they brought the DQ'd dog back out, put that dog on point. The dog got its back, and the handler of the DQ'd dog that was on point went up there and, I mean, literally whispered the command fetch to so the dog on point. To the- and the backing dog <laughs> still broke, and he didn't oh, get the last man. leg. Oh, and so yeah, that is a. I'm glad you brought that up because there is an actual field purpose, especially if you're testing yeah. for having your dog on a preparatory command. So well, hunting too. I mean, if oh, you're yeah. sitting in a duck blind and yeah. you got a dog at each end of the blind yep. and you yell fetch, uh, it's not just both duck of them blind, go. Right? I mean, um, I'll tell you yeah. this: my dog I, got the point; it gets the retreat. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, we we. <laughs> I'm gonna call somebody out right now. There's another <laughs> podcast. 
but no, it, we, we've been, we host a few hunts and stuff like that. And we were kind of called out by Ron and stuff that, that him and Tyler's never hunted with us before. And, and Tyler was like, dude, are they always, they had a little after the action. AAR. Podcast. Yep. And, and Tyler's like, are they always so intense with their dogs? Like the dog that went on point is the only dog that goes, gets a retrieve and does all this stuff. And right. Ron's like, well, they're always training for the next test. <laughs> and, and my only argument to that is, uh, to a certain extent, but really what it is is, dude, if I'm out west somewhere and we're hunting birds and my dog slams point and I put a bird up and I shoot that bird and your dog comes out of left field and retrieves that bird. Yeah. It actually happened to me in North Dakota. I. I'm going to be a little upset, but I guarantee you I'm not going to be nearly as upset as that freaking dog at my heels. Yeah. You know what I mean? That yeah. dog at my heels is going to be like, what the, f-? you know, and at the end of it, it's probably going to actually, for my dogs anyway, about the second or third time that happens, <laughs> well, we're going to get loose. Yeah. Those dogs yeah. are going to be like, oh, I know this game. Yeah. Okay. And then yeah. that, that starts them breaking steadiness yep. and everything. So it's, exactly. just, it's yep. just a downhill deal. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I think that answers it. But uh, what do you say we go back to Canada, eh? Oh, wow. Hey. We got a lot of yeah. international. Yeah, Canada. Canada sounds good. Yeah. I, I don't know I'm this guy. I'm wondering if you guys are even broadcasting in the U.S. at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know this guy's real name, but the uh, the handler's name is Matisse Mama Maker. I, That's a hell take, of a job at pronouncing that. I'm okay. looking at it, and I'm like, okay. That may be his real name, I guess, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Mama Maker. You take that for whatever for whatever it's worth. <laughs> Read the question. <laughs> What are the do's and don'ts for taking an eight-week-old griff into the grouse woods to get wild bird contacts? You don't no, want to train there's, there's no do. There's no do's. There's only don'ts. <laughs> no, there, he, he's saying there's no shooting, but just exploring and finding birds. The pup will not have access to planted birds until next spring or early summer due to the location being in BC okay. Canada. So let me recant that a little bit. Um yeah, please don't take the, the dog grouse hunting. However, structured walks in the woods yep. are amazing. Short. Especially for a young dog. that young, short. Yep. Runs. Structured walks. And what I mean by the structured walk is, you know, you're taking this dog, you're getting it exposure, you're letting it smell all the smells that are out there in the woods, you're having, letting it get into a couple of bird contacts and, and, you know, I'm guessing that in Canada and the grouse there are, you know, they're not steady birds. So the dogs are kind of learning, you know, their own steadiness at yep. that age, yep. you know, informally. Heck, at that age, they're just learning what birds are Yeah, at that what's, point. A, what's a bird? Holy yeah. cow, what was that? Let me go find another one. Um, yep. Yeah, it, I'd have no problem that first season if that's what you're doing. Um, however. Don't call it hunting. Yeah, don't call it you're hunting. exposing. Yep. Call it exposure, call it foundation. Um, you know, as much as it may, if that dog points a grouse long enough for you to walk up next to it, don't shoot it unless you've introduced that dog to gunfire, yeah. please. To just please, take it for please. a win. Yep, exactly. Just take it for a win. Take it for a win. Flush that dog. Praise that dog. Good boy. Oh, or good girl. I'm not sure in the breed or the sex, but, um, you know, just give that dog a ton of praise, get them wound up, and just get them moving right back down the trail again. Yep. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and I, I think you start off with, you know, there's there's not any don'ts or there's not any do's, however you said it. Uh, but I think the question was, what are the do's and don'ts of taking a eight-week eight griff grouse hunting this year? And I'm like, there's no do's. <laughs> Don't right. take it hunting. Yeah, yeah and and really don't don't have any expectations just let yeah. the dog have fun yeah, exactly no whatever happens and yep. i mean i hunted with my dog when it was four months old what do we say a puppy does no wrong right but yep. yeah but i didn't i wasn't out there like i've got to kill a bird got to kill a bird yep. well i and, went into it going i am walking through the woods i'm carrying a shotgun number one yep so that the dog associates associates this with a shotgun that's like part of gun intro for me right number two if the stars align and everything's perfect i'll shoot a bird for this for this four-month-old dog but i had done some other gun intro anyway exactly. so if the dog's been intro to gun yeah. but i never went out there with like i'm gonna put a, a bird in the bag today yeah right. it and was just a walk with the dog in the woods yep. and from for the tone, first season from the tone of his question is He's using the hunting season as a way to expose the dog to birds. Absolutely. Until late spring, early summer because of his location. And that's one thing that a, a lot of people, like especially down here in the south U.S., we don't understand because, you know, most months we can yeah. we can get our dogs on birds. But up there, you know, the weather, it just it doesn't afford them the opportunity. And so, you know, as opposed to waiting till the dog is, you know, 10 months old <laughs> yeah it's yeah. like let's start exposing it to some birds and getting it on some wild birds and and like scott said structured fun runs that doesn't mean just go out there for three hours or anything just keep it short they're young and uh you know they have a lot of physical growing as well as mental so just yeah. keep that in mind right. i would say do keep it up with all those structured walks quote unquote hunting walks and don't have any expectations. You know, if at the worst case scenario, if he wanted to, uh, depending on what his introduction to gunfire has been, I mean, he's talking about an eight-week-old puppy. Yeah. yeah. And not knowing the kennel that the dog's coming from and what the kennel does and stuff in preparation for these dogs. I mean, we, you know, most most of the dogs that leave our place, you know, we're we're firing a twenty-two blank in the in the kennel while the dogs are eating and there's no response to them. So yep. they've been introduced to a, a sort of gunfire with a good, with a positive thing. So, I mean, at the worst, carry a cap gun with you. Yeah. yeah. If that dog is lucky, in, uh, I shouldn't say lucky. Enough. If that dog is, is, has the opportunity and points a bird and allows you to get within flushing range and that bird gets up and you just pop yeah. a little snap cap, and then tons of praise, and that dog's all fired up. Let me go find another one. Let me go find another one. Mm-hmm. Perfect. You're you're kind of killing two birds with one stone. You're starting yeah. that intro to gunfire. The dog's associating it with a good situation. You know, yeah. Just carry a cap gun. For sure. Yep. So, last question. Uh, I wish we had more, man. I'm having a great time. Oh, yeah. No, it, but, you know, there's only time. We'll have to do it again later. Next time Scott rolls through, we'll have sure. to do another round. Oh, it's always fun. Uh, don't know the location of this one, but uh, N. Jaeger 52 asks, at what age does a GSP or DK start to slow down enough that you should start thinking about starting your next dog? In other words, when is it? when do you know it's time to retire a dog 
when to retire a dog. Man, um, there's a lot of things involved in that. Um, I know a lot of depends on the breed. I know he specifically called out DKs and GSPs. I know a lot. I of think D- I think all gun dogs really fall yeah. under this for yeah. the same answer. I, I think you know most most of our dogs kind of start to really slow down after about nine and a half, ten years old. Um, and it, when I say slow down more of like you don't see the same enthusiasm they had when they were a two-year-old yeah you know what i mean um you don't see the same range and the same drive and desire this makes me sad thinking about it man a little bit yeah i I tell you that (laughs) way to bring down the podcast (laughs) the, the, the one thing we all talk about you know uh is you know god the worst thing I got to know is that I'm going to outlive all my bird dogs to a certain yeah. extent, you know? So Ron brought it up uh, a couple weeks ago, maybe on a podcast. And it was like, you know, when to know the time is to put a dog down. And that's not the question here, but he referenced, uh, I think it was a DD. He had Haskell or something like yep. that. And the dog lived to retrieve and, and the dog didn't want to do, have anything to do with the dead grouse. Like it just turned its head. So as we answer this, I'm thinking about, my dog in the kennel right now and you know i'm constantly uh, i told nick earlier it's because i don't enforce it all the time but i open the kennel and he's charging out ready to go you know and sometimes i'm like no you have to wait (laughs) but i'm thinking when i one day when i open that kennel and that dog doesn't want to come out that's probably the indicator you know maybe so i mean the the thing this is the piece I would look at is, you know, if, if, if the individual's doing, if, the, if this gentleman's doing the right thing as far as doing regular veterinary care with a dog yeah, and regular yearly checkups and stuff like that, his vet should be able to tell him yeah. the physical capacity of that dog, uh, the, the dog's ability to just basically, we'll say, move yeah. and do what it does. Most of these dogs, their drive, their desire you know what I mean? I mean I've, I've seen dogs 13, 14 years old that are just like, man, for that first 20 minutes, I'm going to keep up with this two-year-old puppy. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, and it, but at what point? You know, it's, man, my, first, <laughs> my first dog, I knew I was going to put him down that day. I took him hunting that morning. Yeah. I was like, I'm, I'm going to do, you know, one more day of hunting, doing what I know this dog wants to do. And... I mean, he came out and hunted, and it wasn't as good as his other days. But you know, it's so, he still just had that desire you're talking about. Yeah, like, it's, it's, no, no matter what, when you get these gun dogs, you know, you know how it's going to end eventually. Yeah. We're doing all this work, and and you know the end story of this. And I I, I don't look forward to going through it for with my first. You know, I've gone through it with other dogs, but not yep. my gun dogs, not yep. my hunting buddies, not my hunting partners. But being around enough guys and seeing it take place through them, the dog's physical capabilities are going to deteriorate a lot quicker than their mental Absolutely. state. And so when you start seeing a dog, it's one thing that their physical stature isn't the same because you can tailor hunts and yeah. outings around that. You can find an easier loop in the grouse woods. You can find, you know maybe it can't handle a good flooded timber duck hunt or something you can handle maybe an easier field hunt you can tailor outings around a dog's physical right 
capabilities but when when the dog's mental desire like you're talking about starts slipping it's that's when it's time to really start thinking okay it's it's time to you know it's it's on the couch it's just let's live let's live the good life now and uh it, it but you know, as us, we love the hunting just as much as the dogs. It's going to be very hard to make that decision. But, I mean, you know, you can see it in dogs. You don't even have to wait till, till they're 10 or 12. I mean, Rachel, she's going on seven now. And I can already see that there's just, there's just a step missing that she had three years ago. Right. And, I mean, if you really know your dogs and pay attention to your dogs, you can see it over the years. And as long as you don't put those blinders on and selfishly – just say, you know, my dog is as good at 12 as it was five. Okay. Like, I know you want that to be true, right. but it's not true. Just right. don't put the blinders on and put that dog through, well, through heck. And exactly. And that's, that's the point. The biggest piece of it is, like you said, the, the desire will push through whatever body ailments that dog has. And, yeah. and at the end of the day, you know, we're all, we all kind of get selfish. We want our dogs to live forever. We all do. But, you know, yeah, taking that dog on a, on a long hunt or something along those lines that ends up being, you know, two days, that dog is lame for two days. Yeah. Is that really what you're asking to do? Yeah. And and I'm just with this conversation, I know Adam, like he, he's got this quote that he often he he often brings up because it struck a chord with him on his first dog every time somebody starts talking about when it's time to retire a dog or put him down or something it's just adam is always real quick with this quote so i'm putting you on the spot throw your quote out there and let's wrap it up with that yeah so and i've heard people talk you know they'll they'll mention well that's this dog and it's it's my retired dog and i've always wondered like what does that mean to have a retired dog but it's kind of clicked with me that it's like the dog, like you're saying, is not not capable of hunting anymore, but it's capable of living. You know, yeah. it can be a couch potato. So uh, this is a, a George Bird Evans quote. And then Ron quotes George Bird Evans, you know, fairly regular on his podcast. And he's got one that he likes. But this is one of my favorite quotes. Uh, the, per- the perfection of life with a gun dog like the perfection of an autumn is disturbing because you know, even as it begins that it must end time bestows the gift and it steals it in the process. George bird Evans. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, it, it, and I didn't want to try and get to this point in this, but you know, got to plan a little bit. So I'm guessing that he's probably asking the question to get back to his question a little bit is, He's asking when to retire a, a bird dog, probably because he's looking at his next bird dog already. Yep. 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 And so for me personally, and, you know, within our circle of individuals that we would, you know, my planning criteria is basically about two and a half years. So I, I want to have a dog that's two and a half to three years old, and then I'm going to get a puppy. Yeah. And then, you know, by the time that dog hits, you know, five, six years old, and now the puppy's two and a half years old, okay, I'm going to wait another two and a half years and get a, get pup, a puppy. started, finish, pup, yep, started, exactly. finish. And, yeah, I think uh, two, three, four years is good. And, uh, you know, Mr. Yeager, if, if you're asking, you probably kind of know anyways 
that it's getting close yeah. and you're wanting some affirmation from us, the answer you're hoping for is, nah, keep hunting them. <laughs> keep hunting them. Yeah. But I, I would say that you might be in the situation where it's time to retire the dog. Doesn't mean you need to take yeah. him to the vet and put him down. No. But retire him. Let them roam around and do whatever they you want. Know, Let them be a couch potato. In all Enjoy them for maybe four or five more years. In, in all honesty, like uh, I've got two older dogs now. And when I say older, they're only nine and a half. And, and a part of their yearly vet physical and stuff like that, we just, we just pay to have the x-ray so that we can, on, you know, on no uncertain terms, see, is there arthritis buildup somewhere? Is there something that's a little bit, there's something that, you know, is going to, if we hunt this dog like this, is it going to harm the dog later on? We all get tired. I've got a bad back. You've got a bad back. You know, military, (laughs) military, one thing they gave us was bad backs. You know, I didn't tell you I had a bad back. Yeah, you get, you get, (laughs) you get issued that, I think, on your second day or something like that. But, you know, there's all ailments that these bird dogs are going to end up with. And as long as that dog has not got, you know, does not have like crippling arthritis somewhere or elbow issues or hip issues or anything along those lines or any of the other um, age-related, you know, health issues that comes up, then hunt your dog at a reasonable pace. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, again, we kind of started this off with just the responsibility of being a breeder and trainer and, and it ties into being a responsible gun dog owner. Um, that's a level of responsibility doing those x-rays and just knowing, okay, now we know we're not tying emotions to it. The x-ray doesn't lie. It's time to retire this guy. So, so to, to sum all that up, Jaeger is if your living circumstances allow it, go ahead and get your next dog Yep, and get them started and going. And that way you, you have a hunting dog ready to go if you have to retire the next dog and uh but yeah if you're asking the question then you you at least see something that brings it to mind so you kind of know that it's on the horizon if it's not already there but uh just remember that uh you're you're not being fair to the dog if it physically can't handle what you're asking it to do and with that being said i i can't really end the podcast on a question like that so i'm gonna throw <laughs> one more question at you scott okay we're gonna kind of time travel here all right this episode comes out adam's already run his test so look at adam and either congratulate him or apologize <laughs> to him on his results <laughs> you know i know adam um he came down to the house and uh what was it fourth of july you came down yeah that's about right yeah fourth of july you came down yeah i think and, it was uh, actually the day, 4th of July. Yeah. Yep. And I think we had a little one-on-one training in the shop, in the kennel. Yep. And I told him, calm, calm the F down. <laughs> like, I'm showing him. I don't think I ever worked with Mitchell prior to that. Yeah. And, nope. I'm, and I'm working with him, and you're like, okay, how are you doing that? And I'm like, dude, just relax, man. Just relax. Yep. And then you try, you, you kind of stepped up like, oh. Let me let me do this. Let me do this. And, yeah, and, get and out of my like, way. Let me why, train why are my you dog. Doing it? This why is are why you doing it? this is why some guys can't train with their spouses. But, exactly. <laughs> but um, you know what? I I have full confidence. Um, I'm going to go ahead and correct, congratulate you on passing the test. <laughs> I believe there's no doubt in my mind, save some crazy circumstance that uh, 
that you're going to pass the test. Um, and uh, I look forward to run the uh, 2021 invitation with you. Oh, man, I hope so. <laughs> so <laughs> There we go. Well, I think that's a good way to wrap it up. Congrats, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, if, if one of those unforeseen events happen, it's both of your faults. <laughs> you, you know what? We were just walking in the field, and I, yeah. I, I'm going to close it out with this. Scott looked at you and said, point blank, confidence. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Have confidence in your dog. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy this podcast and would like to contribute even more to future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash gundog yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup just after replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.